Hey, last week in the series was amazing. And I mean, if you were here, thousands of us, thousands of us got up out of our seats and just said, look, I'm, I am ready to surrender. I am just so ready to stop running from God and just get caught by Him. And, and we came up on stage and walked across, and we all had white flags and placed them uh, on the throne. I mean, it was just an amazingly powerful moment. And I just want to say to you that if you, for some reason, were not here, you didn't get a chance to experience that, this is one of those Sundays you may want to go back and look at it on, uh, on the internet and, and just watch that message. It, it was an incredible moment in the life of our church. And if you miss that, you'll be behind uh, where the rest of us are. Now, here's the interesting thing as we're doing this. You almost get to that point and you go, okay, well, that ought to be the end of the series, right? I mean, we, we all got to the place of surrender. We all kind of did our surrender thing. We, it, it ought to be done. And here's the interesting thing about the book of Jonah, that by the time you get to Jonah's surrender, by the time he's in the fish and calls uncle, you're only halfway through the story. And here's what you need to get. Personal surrender, Jonah's surrendering his life to the will of God was not the point of the book. Matter of fact, God's going to bring that home today. He's going to say to Jonah, Jonah, you're only halfway there in this thing of surrender. And here's what you and I are going to discover, that it's possible to surrender to God in my personal life. In other words, to go, look, here's the thing, God, I'm, I, I'm more than willing uh, to let you have my family, and, and I'm going to give you my finances, and, and, and I'm going to take those habits that don't honor you, and I'm going to bring those to you and put them under your control and direction. It's possible to surrender to God in our personal life and still miss the heart of God for the world around us, for the people around us. And I get, I get for some of us, you go, what? And that's okay because that's exactly what Jonah thought when he first came across this idea. But you and I are going to watch as God now guides Jonah to a whole new place of surrender in his life, a whole new understanding of giving himself completely to the heart of God. So grab your Bibles today. We're just going to take a look and see what that would do for us. And we're going to go back to this book of Jonah. And I'm going to help you get there one more time. Uh, so uh, here we go. Uh, if you go somewhere to the middle of your Bibles, you're probably going to find this book of Psalms or Proverbs. Start heading to the right. Uh, you'll get to Ezekiel or Daniel, and you've got to slow down right away because those are the last of the big books, okay? And then Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, okay? Book of Jonah, very small book toward the end of what we call uh, the Old Testament, Jonah chapter uh, 4. Let, let me catch us up to what's happening uh, right now. Jonah, after he gets spit up out of uh, the fish, the whale, uh, heads toward Nineveh. And even if that whale had spit him up all the way back at Israel, he's got about 550 miles across land. And so chances are he's hopped on a camel, and he has spent days upon days upon days, probably weeks upon weeks, making that 550-mile trek to this city of Nineveh. When he gets there, uh, the city is massive. Matter of fact, the Bible in describing it says that it was so big that it would take a person three days to walk the circumference of the city of Nineveh. And as Jonah gets there, he begins to preach, and his sermon goes something like this. Uh, God has sent me uh, a God that you don't believe in, doesn't even hit your list of gods, 
but God sent me a person that you completely don't like. Matter of fact, the reality is we are mortal enemies. You guys are always coming over and attacking and raiding us. So the God that you don't believe in has sent a person that you totally dislike to tell you this, that in 40 days, God's going to destroy your city. Now, here's the interesting thing in the moment. Something was happening in the hearts of the Ninevites. I don't… In true to God form, he apparently knew exactly the right moment to have the right conversation with these people. And Jonah's message strikes a chord. And suddenly people were saying, I, this is the truth. This is, this is exactly right. And a revival begins to sweep the city of Nineveh. It's like a tidal wave of repentance moving through that city. So much so that word gets to the king. And when the king hears what's happening and that his people are falling down in repentance to God, the king says, this is exactly what we need to be doing. He makes a command and says, everybody in Nineveh is to clothe themselves in sackcloth and ashes, and then we're going to pray to God, and we're going to beg God that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, He would give us a second chance, that He would hear our repentance, and that He would choose not to destroy us. Incredible moment. And, and there's part of us that would say, oh, okay, well, that's kind of the bow on the pack. I mean, that was kind of the da-dump, da-dump, happily ever after part of the story. And here's what you need to know. God's not done yet. This simply becomes the stage in which God is going to do some of His best work in Jonah's life. So here we go. It's Jonah uh, chapter 4. Uh, watch how Jonah responds to this great moment of revival uh, in the city of Nineveh. Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry, and he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Now, get this moment. Here's Jonah. He's a prophet of God. He goes and he gives the message and he goes, see, see, this is exactly what I told you was going to happen. This is, this is the worst possible result. These people are repenting. And then you, being the loving God that you are, you're going you're gonna to forgive them. How horrible is this? Because I was hoping, I was hoping for like a big meteor that was going to come down and like the city of Nineveh. And, and instead, instead you're forgiving these guys. And he goes, I, I don't even have words to tell you, God, how absolutely exasperated with you that I am. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, really? Do you, of all people, Jonah, do you have any reason to be angry with me? I mean, Jonah, wasn't it just a couple weeks ago that you were in the belly of a fish begging me for second chances? Wasn't it, wasn't it just a short while ago that you were saying, God, please have mercy on me, and, and please, would you forgive me for my foolishness in my life? And here's what Jonah would say. Well, yeah, that, that was me. But here's the deal. 
I deserved it. See, I, I deserved a second chance because all in all, you ready? I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, sure, I made a mistake, but I'm a, overall, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm an Israelite, so I've spent my entire life worshiping you. I'm in the ministry. And so, look, I, you know, it makes sense that you would give me a second chance. But the Ninevites, I mean, those people, second chances, not so much. I mean, God, if you, do you see how they dress? They're a bunch of thugs. And if you heard how they speak, they all sound like they're from Jersey. I mean, God, come on. And, it, and if you've seen their kids, their kids, their kids are hellions. And I'm just telling you, you let those guys in the church, their kids are going to mess our kids up. God, why would you give people like that a second chance? And guys, here's, here's what you and I are going to discover. That one of the problems when you and I give our lives to Jesus Christ, when we start surrendering our lives and we, we get on this path of saying, hey, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to obey God, sometimes we sometimes forget that the only way we got there was by getting a second chance ourselves, And we get so focused on being good that it becomes incredibly easy for you and I to be judgmental about other people around us who aren't as good as us. And we would say, well, no, God, I, I mean, of course you love me, and I mean, of course, you know, I get second chance. But those people… Not so much. If those people started coming to our church, and if, if those people were part, they, they're just messy. And, and, and they've, got, they've got issues that I've never had. It's interesting because some of you have heard my story, and you know that years ago I grew up in Tempe, and as a young, real young teenager, uh, there was a little church just down the street from my house, and they were great people. I mean, they were really, really good people. My baby sister uh, was autistic, and my parents had already split, and so here's my mom raising four kids, and the youngest of which has severe learning disabilities, and we weren't able to make it to church. And there were some ladies in that little church down the street that offered to watch my baby sister Diane while my mom went into church so that we could go to church. I mean, they were great people. And then you've heard me tell the story about how they called a youth pastor named Wayne and how he showed up at my door wearing a leisure suit and patent leather shoes. I mean, it was, it was bad, okay? It was bad. Um, and, but he got me to go to church. He got me to go to Sunday school with him. Here's the cool thing is that Wayne was just an incredibly dynamic guy. Uh, patent leather and all. And, he and it was remarkable. We had kids coming to that youth group in droves. And pretty soon, you ready for this? We had the drug dealers off of some of the major high school campuses there in Tempe coming to our youth group. We had the head drug dealer off of the Tempe High Campus coming to our youth group. We had a guy who was selling drugs at Marco Staniza coming to our youth group. And they're coming in, and Wayne's opened up the Bible, and they're making all sorts of decisions for Christ. And then, you ready for this? They're taking their stash, going to the church bathroom, and flushing their drugs. I mean, it was a cool moment. And then, you want to hear the craziest part? And then they were going into big church. 
And boy, that's when, that's when the woo hit the fan. Because that was freaking out the people in this little church. They're going, wah! Because you got to remember, this is the 70s, so they all got hippie, and they probably had peach t-shirts on, and they probably hadn't taken a bath in a couple weeks, and it was just, wah! You can't let people like this in the church. What? This is crazy. You're ruining our church. And so they went to Wayne, and they just said, Wayne, look, look, you've got this all wrong. That's not what we were asking you to do you got to stop bringing in all of these less desirable teens because, you know, they're going to start wanting to date our daughters. And, and, and here's what you need. Just take care of our kids. It was interesting because uh, Wayne ended up leaving that church. He just said, I, I can't do that. And I, I went with him uh, to the next church. And uh, we, we found a really conservative, Bible-thumping Baptist church that all they cared about was if they got haircuts, and then they were good. So they'd let all these guys in. And um, about seven years later, that little church was looking for a youth pastor. And I happened uh, to go in for an interview. And in the middle of the interview, they said, uh, hey, Lynn, you used to go to church here, didn't you? And I said, yeah, you know, I did when I was younger. And they said, uh, but you left. I said, yeah. I, I did. I left. You, you quit the club. Yeah. Hmm. You know what they were saying? If we're going to think about hiring you as the youth pastor, tell us, tell us, tell us that you've learned your lesson and you'll only take care of our kids and you won't make the mistake of Wayne and bring us all those kids from Nineveh. And guys, here, here's this we need to get, and it's what Jonah doesn't understand in the moment, and it's what you and I sometimes refuse to surrender, and simply this. You ready? Every person in your life, every person you know, needs a second chance. And, 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 and even if they're not as good as you, and even if their lifestyle bothers you, and even if you would say, oh my goodness… It is impossible for you and I to be the people who've received the second chance and not be willing to offer others a second chance. And all too often we forget what's been given to us, and we refuse to extend it to others. There's a second thing that Jonah is struggling with in in this moment, and it's simply this. You cannot claim to love somebody and not love what they love. You just can't. And that's, that's part of loving. If you love somebody, you may say, hey, I didn't even like rock climbing, but then I married my husband, and I mean, that's what he was into, and so I found myself… Rock- I mean, you can't love somebody and not begin to embrace and care about the things that they care about. That's part of loving somebody. When we started Cornerstone… I had a family, we had a family that came with us, the Richardsons. It was Brent and Sonia Richardson. Matter of fact, their firstborn daughter, Abby, was born the second Sunday of Cornerstone. And a couple years uh, later, uh, as Abby was getting a little bit older, one day Brent comes into the office, and I mean, you talk about haggard. His eyes were all red and bloodshot, and his hair looked like he hadn't even combed it. And I said, Brent, what's, man, what's going on? You, you got financial problems? 
Are you and Sonia okay? What's up? And he goes, it's Abby. Uh, Abby lost her doll. She's got this little raggedy, dirty, snarfly, snot-covered rag doll called Baby. And she lost it. And Abby is just in abject terror. And he said, for the last three nights as I go home from work, I have been sitting there from the moment I get home till two and three in the morning looking for Baby. I said, Len, we, I, I've opened every cupboard. We have picked up couches and moved them over. I've gone into every closet, and I've unloaded the entire closet two and three times looking for baby, and baby is nowhere to be found. And, and every night, it just gets worse. I mean, Abby is that much more upset, that much more concerned that we will never find baby again. And he said, Len, it's just killing me. They finally found baby in the garage in Abby's little trike inside of a basket that she had placed baby in. But let me ask you a question. Why did Brent and Sonia stay up till three in the morning looking for a rag doll covered in snot? Because their daughter loved that doll. And when you love somebody, you care about what they care about. Grab your Bibles. Keep your finger at Jonah because I'm not helping you anymore. You're stuck, okay? Grab your Bibles. Go to the right with me. Uh, go to 1 Timothy. It's going to be almost to the back of your Bible. Not quite. 1 Timothy. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. And guys, you and I are going to get a peek. You ready for this? You and I are going to get a peek into the heart of God. Because, because, because you can't claim to love somebody and not care about the things they care about. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, here's what it says. This is a good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You get what that says? It's saying the absolute heart of God, the thing that makes His heart beat, the thing that He cares about more than anything else in this entire universe is this. You ready? That people that don't know Him would discover a genuine relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. That that's what God cares about. That's what God loves more than anything else. And guys, guys, you can't love God and not love the people He loves, even those who aren't as good as us and who'd mess up the youth group and who'd come dressed the wrong way and who haven't figured life out yet, which means simply this. Are you ready? that every single coworker you have who doesn't understand God yet, that your neighbor down the street who's struggling through a divorce right now, that that teenager who rides their skateboard in front of your house and bugs you to death is your Nineveh. And you can't love God and not love the people that God loves. It's interesting because Jonah is totally struggling with this. This is totally outside of anything that he's considered so far. He's still ticked off that God 
forgave him. And God is about to give Jonah a huge object lesson. And guys, here's what you just need to know, that what God does next takes a mirror and sticks it right in front of Jonah's face, and he says, oh. But as he does that, the mirror is going to come front and center for us, and in the next few moments, you and I are going to suddenly see ourselves in the attitudes of Jonah. So here we go. It's back to the passage. Let me, let me set up what God does. It's a cool moment. Jonah goes out to the side of a hill looking over Nineveh, and he sits down. And it's kind of like Jonah says, okay, look, all right, here's the deal, God. You gave me a second chance. I'll give you a second chance to destroy Nineveh, okay? So you got a couple days here. Let's see if you can get your act together. And so Jonah sits down. He crosses his arms. He crosses his legs, sits sits in the burning heat of the desert waiting for God to drop the big one on Nineveh. And hour after hour, day after day, begins to go by, and God does nothing. God has apparently forgiven them. And Jonah gets angrier and angrier and angrier at God. And then God says, okay, all right, all right. Jonah, let me help you out here. I'm, I'm going to send you an object lesson that maybe this is going to let you figure this out. And so God sends a gourd. He has, he has this little plant gourd, and, and it grows a vine up, and the vine comes to cover over Jonah. So now Jonah, as he's sitting there waiting for God to destroy Nineveh in the desert, has shade. And in that moment, J Jonah goes, oh, that's so cool. That's great. I mean, at least God's, you know, kind of taking care of me. So, okay, that's, you know, maybe that's kind of his apology. You know, that's kind of neat. The next day, you ready for this? God sends a worm to eat the gourd, and now the gourd dies, and Jonah is out of his mind angry. Jonah's going, okay, so you gave me the gourd to take the gourd away, and he's just out of his mind angry with God, and now we join the conversation. Ready? It's Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 9. Here's the conversation that God has with Jonah after the gourd. Here's what it says. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry with me about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. Just kill me. I mean, if this is God, how you're going to behave, and if this is how you're going to act, I'd rather be dead than be a part of this. But the Lord said, you ready? The Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? End of story. And you go, whoa, 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 whoa. And you know what the answer is? God believes he's made his point absolutely clear, and there's no way to miss it. Jonah, what do you think of that? And just in case you and I are a little bit like Jonah and are still kind of trying to figure out what the point was, let me see if I can help. Jonah, you're upset with me about a gourd. And there were 120,000 people dying without a relationship with God in that city. Are you really telling me, Jonah, that you were more concerned with a gourd 
than the eternal destiny of a city full of people. Is that possible? You get the gourd stands for earthly stuff. It stands for the things that you and I kind of have in our lives for a few moments and then they go away. Matter of fact, remember Jesus when He was teaching, He said, do not lay up for yourselves earthly treasures where moth and rust corrupt, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. You get that Jesus was teaching the principle of the gourd, that Jesus was saying, look, 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 you got to be careful that you don't get caught up so consumed and so worried about things and stuff that you miss that there are people around you who do not know your Jesus. You got to be careful you don't get so worried about whether or not you get that next pay raise or, or whether or not you, you have a chance to look through consumer reports and buy the right car and, and you're saving for your cab. You got, you can't, you got to be careful that you don't get so consumed in tending your gourd that you miss 120,000 people who need Jesus. I mean, let's be honest. Every one of us in this room, at some point, someone has said, hey, uh, you know, you need to serve. You, you need to take the talents and abilities God's given you, and you ought to serve in the church. And isn't the, isn't the reason we said no, isn't the reason we said, well, well look, I probably should. I get it. I get, I get it. But I don't have any time to serve right now. I'm too busy tending my gourd. See, I'm, I'm too busy uh, making sure that I get the right performance review at work, and, and you know, I'm just too busy getting my kids to soccer practice, and I, I'm just, you know, I, I don't have time, and I, I just bought a ski boat, and I mean, man, you ought to take that ski boat out every weekend, right? I mean, that, that would only be good stewardship, right? I'm too busy tending my gourd to serve. Isn't the honest answer? That when there's been conversations about finances and about money, that we've said, well, look, look here's the deal. I, I know I ought to give, and I, I, but I, here's, I, I just spent all of my money fertilizing the gourd. I just did. I mean, you know, I, you know, we needed a new car, and, you know, so, of course, I, you know, I bought a really good one. But, you know, and then we've been saving for vacation, and, you know, it'd be pretty uncomfortable to give financially to the church. I, isn't the truth? The reason we haven't done much of what we were called to do is because we've been too busy tending the gourd. Do you realize the reason you and I have a seat in this room today? There's a place for you to come and for me to come and to have this conversation about Jesus is because there were people in the past who cared more about you than they did the gourd. Matter of fact, how many of you in this room would say, hey, Lynn, I started coming to Cornerstone after this auditorium was built. This is the only auditorium I've been in at Cornerstone. How many would say that? Okay, a bunch of us. So here's the answer. You realize you owe a debt of gratitude to the people who used to meet in the student center. Because here's the deal, you ready? They already had a chair. 
They already had a seat to come to on Sunday, and their kids had a Sunday school class to go to. And they realized that if you were going to have a place to come, they had to care about you more than the gourd. I've got a friend, and he was talking the other day, and he said, you know, Lynn, every time we walk into this auditorium, I say to my kids, hey, that's our cabin. Because right about the time when we were in the old building and you were talking about people who needed to come and hear about Jesus, we were saving money toward a cabin. And we decided that it was more important to find a place for those to hear the story of Jesus than it was to have a cabin, than to tend our gourd. How many of you would say, hey, Lynn, the first auditorium I came to was the old student center. That's, that's the place I came back in those days. Okay. All right. Then you owe a debt of gratitude to everybody who was back at the high school who took on, you guys ready for this, a crazy load of debt. I mean, the amount of money that we borrowed per family to get that first building up, crazy. And you know what? They said in their hearts, we care about having a place where people can come and hear this amazing story of Jesus more than whatever the risk is, more than taking care of the gourd. And they sacrificed to give us a place. And guys, what you and I have got to be careful is not to have the sin of Jonah. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what Jonah would have said. Jonah would have said, look, 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 look. I'm grateful. I am. I'm, great. I'm grateful for second chances. I'm grateful that God delivers from the belly of the I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And I'm, and I'm so thankful for what's been done for me. I'm just not grateful enough to do it for anybody else. And you and I have got to be careful that we don't say, I'm, I'm happy with my purple chair, and I'm glad somebody is working with my teenager, and I'm glad somebody is serving in that class for my children. I'm just not grateful enough to do it for anybody else. It's the sin of Jonah. And here's what I'm asking. Do you care? Do you care for this generation? Do you care? Do you care for single moms that are trying to figure out how to get their feet back under themselves and raise kids without dad around? Do you care? Would you be willing to watch the little sister so they could come to church? Do you care? Do you care about teenagers whose lives are just hell-bent going in the wrong direction? Do you care? Do you care enough to stop tending the gourd and start tending to their lives? Grab, grab your Bibles just one more time really, really quickly. Go with me to the book of John. Matter of fact, it's a passage of Scripture that my guess is just about every person in this room has at some point heard. It's John chapter 3, verse 16. It's going to be to the right in your Bible. If you go all the way to the back, you can work to the left. Beginning of what we call the New Testament, John chapter 3, verse 16. Here's what it says. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His own and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we stop there all the time. We don't read the rest of the passage. But here's what the rest says. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, not through Kiwanis, not through the Muslims, 
through Jesus. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But you ready? Whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, which means this, that all of our friends and all of our neighbors, all those people you and I know who are residing in Nineveh, until they figure out Jesus, are destined for a Christless eternity. You get that the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is apathy. The opposite of love is, I don't care enough about you to raise a finger for you. And that every time you and I say, let Nineveh take care of itself, we're casting a vote for hell. I'm glad God saved me. I'm glad God redeemed me. I'm glad God is a God of second chances, but not so much you. God's point is, Jonah, you care more about a gourd than you do 120,000 souls. You've surrendered your life to me personally, but you haven't surrendered your life to my heart. Here's what I'm going to ask. You and I have got a friend day coming up, and if you haven't figured this out yet, let me just say it real clearly. Friend day is for you to invite friends. And the reason we ask you to invite friends is that in the midst of that conversation, we make it easy to tell people who have not figured out Jesus yet what it means to get a second chance. That's what it's about. And I'm just going to ask you to consider as you get ready to leave in a few minutes, if you've never given a card, if you've never invited somebody before, would you take at least one card and say, look, I care more about you than I do the gourd. I care more about what you may think. I care, I care more about this than how you may respond. And I'm just going to invite you to a place that gives people second chances. That's just all I'm going to do. Some of us need to grab a handful. And we need to take these out and say, look, there's this day coming. And, and it's, it's an amazing day of repentance and second chances. But guys, here's what I'm going to say out loud. You don't want to do this lightly. <laughs> Because you get that our buildings are already full. The last two services, standing room only, this service is getting full. And if we go do this, this place is going to pack out. It's going to get messy around here. It's going to be harder to pull in on the parking lot. It's going to be harder to check our kids. We're going to have to blow out some walls and put some more purple chairs for the people who are coming. We're going to have to build a building for their children to hear this story of Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is if you and I care more about them than we do the gourd, because some of us aren't going on vacation if we hand these out. Some of us may not build a cabin. I asked the uh, band to come out, and they're going to play a song in just a moment. And I know right now in the service, tons of us usually head for the back door, trying to get to the buffet ahead of all the old people. But... Um, I'm going to ask you to stay, and I, I got a song that I want us to sing that I think is a song of surrender to this very moment. And uh, let me just read you a couple of the words that we're going to sing together. It says, everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me.
Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior. I can't think of a more powerful way for you and I to say, I'm going to love what God loves. I'm going to love the people that God has placed in my life more than the gourd. I'm going to Nineveh. Let's bow in prayer. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we're just going to be honest. We've, we've felt like Jonah. We've thought, you know, um, I'm, I'm thrilled for my second chances, and I'm, I'm thrilled for the forgiveness God has offered my life. But that coworker, crazy Uncle Fred, not so much. Not so much. And God, we've, we've spent an awful lot of our lives tending the gourd, spending our lives fertilizing and pruning and trimming careers and houses and cars that rust and get dusty. And we've cared about the gourd more than the 120,000 souls. And God, we're just, we're going to change the moment. We're just going to stand here in a moment and sing a song of surrender that just simply says, because I love my Savior, I'll love the people my Savior loves. I'll risk, I'll risk a friendship. I'll risk somebody's misunderstanding. I'll invite him to come here about a second chance. Help us to learn this last area of surrender. In Jesus' precious name, amen.